Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. If you have specific questions or concerns, we encourage you to consult a health professional in your local area. From Changelog Media, this is Brain Science, a podcast for the curious. We're exploring the inner workings of the human brain to understand behavior change, habit formation, mental health, and what it means to be human. It's brain science applied, not just how does the brain work, but how do we apply what we know about the brain to transform our lives? I'm Adam Stachowiak. And I'm Dr. Marielle Reese. Morning, Adam. How are you? Well, I am preparing for a new decade. How about you? Yes. And I always get excited around this time of year because I'm very much a goal setter. Mm. What about you? I'm a goal setter. Yes, I'm a goal setter. I I think uh, I let myself fail too often, or at least in my own eyes, because I have such high uh, expectations for myself. So I feel like I'm a goal setter. And then I think I fail a lot too. Well, I think that's a great part with setting goals, though, and that like we don't get better at anything we don't practice. And at least if you're practicing, you're right. moving in the right direction. I look at failure as progress, right? If you're, if you're not failing, you're not trying. Sure, exactly. And, and I would say, too, that even the failure is feedback. So it gives you an opportunity to sort of redo, revise, and look at other ways that you could optimize. Ooh, okay. <laughs> right? So I just always get excited. I mean, I'm sort of like a kid in some ways, like a new day, a fresh start, the new year. I don't only set goals at the beginning of the year. However, at the end of each year, I'm always looking ahead. And I feel like this year, even more so with it being mm. the turn of a decade, because I've been married for 10 years now. And so I know what I've done, what we've done in these 10 years. And so I look forward with anticipation of like, I get excited and giddy over what could happen in the next decade. Right. When you're a planner, you can't help but goal set, right? Right. Well, yeah, too. And I think about, um, are you familiar with Carol Dweck's research out of Stanford with the marshmallow test? So there's the, she did this study some years ago, and it was a longitudinal study around um, giving kids the option between having one marshmallow now or two marshmallows later. And what she looked at was the way in which the two marshmallow, the delayed gratification, that that when kids opted for the wait, that this paid off in years to come in terms of success, that they were able to utilize this skill later on in life, not just in childhood. And so it had far reaching effects. Yeah. So whenever, you know, we've talked about habits and the importance of that payout of dopamine in the immediate sense. But I get excited over like these itty bitty wins that move me towards that long range two marshmallow sort of goal. Gotcha. Right. I heard somebody say recently um, this three year aspect rather than starting something new, expecting success right away. It was more like I'm doing this knowing that what I'm doing today will bring success three years from now. And I don't know if that's a one to one with that, but it's this we live in a very instant gratification world today. 
mm-hmm. if you want to play a song, you're reminded of a great old song that you really love, what are you going to do? You're probably going to open your phone, pull up Spotify, and go to search. And it's probably going to be there. And you're going to push play and be gratified <laughs> with listening to it and have all those memories and then go back to your day. Or a movie, it's probably on Netflix or available for rent. So like, there's nothing that's not available to us pretty much instantly when it comes to consumption. Yes. Yeah, but so then it makes it harder to sort of stay in that pocket or that time under tension while you're working to cultivate that longer range goal. But I mean, that's so much of life. And I think the longer that I live and the more experiences I have, the more I've really become a sort of, I don't know, advocate for invested in process-based goals wherein I'm learning to fall in love with like all of these itty bitty wins along the way so that I just want to keep going because I can see evidence of my effort in whatever way I'm placing it. Right. That's an interesting perspective when it comes to process because process is, is sometimes hidden, right? You, you, you often have process, you're not even aware of it, which, you know, kind of dives into the three types of goals that we have, which is outcome, performance, and process. But Let's dive a little deeper into sort of like unraveling those because whenever I read over the notes, I was like, wow, I see how each of these layer on like a cake and I never really considered dividing up what a goal is. And that's what I love about doing this show is we kind of like we science the heck out of it, essentially, (laughs) to to use the words out of the Martian movie from Matt Damon. Uh, we, We sort of like break it down into, you know, how things actually work into components that sort of make a greater meaning to something. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I enjoy doing this too, because I continue learning and really consolidating the knowledge that I have so that I can put it into practice more and help even the people I work with and my kids too. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Absolutely. There's these three types of goals. There are outcome-based goals, there's performance goals, and there's process goals. And so they're very synonymous with the word itself. So outcome-based goals are goals that are often binary and involve winning, like wanting to win a gold medal or to be the largest company in, you know, your line of work. So the big thing that I think is relevant when it comes to outcome goals is that these goals can be really like motivating, like, yeah, let's go for that. Let's vest in that awesome outcome. However, they're not totally under your control. Right. I think a lot about it, you know, with like the Olympics of these athletes that train for years and years and years, right? They performance and process, but all for this optimal outcome. But like, I remember watching at the Winter Olympics recently, like out on the ski hills when like snowboarders were affected by the wind. Like, yeah, you can't plan for that. No, there's all of these other variables which affect the outcome. And if I base all of how I feel on deriving this particular outcome, I'm actually going to vicariously sort of condition myself that I'll see it as a failure if I don't get the outcome I want, that it's related to my effort when it may in fact not be. Right, because your effort could have been perfect on point. You could have had everything right when it comes to that, but the variables of the outcome just were not under your control. So you couldn't have uh, trained well enough to confirm these variables that were just not in your control. Yeah. And, you know, I see this, like, there's been researchers who've broken down this construct of perfectionism. 
And what they've looked at is going, what is it that when when is perfectionism sort of maladaptive versus more adaptive? And I would say in athletics, you know, high-level athletes are perfectionistic, but in a good way. Because when it came down to it, they there's this one little area of perfectionism called concern over mistakes. Mm-hmm. And if they see the lack of achievement of that outcome-based goal as a failure, that's when it's maladaptive versus they see it as like, oh, I was so close. I got silver in this, you know, category or sport. Right. They're like, I and so it then leads to more process and performance goals. Do you think it makes sense to attach the uh, the phrase not yet to an outcome goal then? Because it's it, maybe maybe you have a measurable where it's time-based, you know, if we get into SMART goals or apply SMART goals to this, but I'm thinking maybe the phrase not yet might be helpful to, you know, round off or soften an outcome goal. Yeah, exactly. So this performance goal being it's a performance standard that you're trying to achieve. My sort of largest file in this regard is um, really with graduate school, and there is a lot of performance and process aspects of getting a doctorate. Like I remember, so I had these examinations, which I think were after my third year of graduate school, and it was basically everything I'd learned up to that point about four days of testing, three hours of testing each day. And if I didn't meet the criteria that I needed, I didn't get to keep going. Mm. They're like, nice try, but no thank you. Buck stops here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so I, if I'm wanting the doctorate, then I have to look at how am I, what behaviors am I going to do, what processes are involved in order to help me perform on those days in the way in which I desire to do. Yeah. When you think of this more in the tech community, are you aware of sort of performance goals that would be relevant? Well, let's break down those a bit more. A performance goal is is what? It's a standard trying to yeah. achieve something. What exactly is a performance goal? Well, I might think about releasing an app. I mean, to some degree, that's outcome, but your performance, it's that standard. Like I am trying to write a language that can be applicable to users in this genre. Right. Right? And so the process of that would be they su- they provide the support to the performance. So like if you never got on your computer, I'm pretty sure it'd be hard to do any performing. Right, would, right, right. That would get you yeah. to the outcome. Yeah, I would think performance is, is probably a lot like um, – Showing up, I would say that's part of process more than just performance. But I think once you've shown up, you've got to be in a mindset. You have to minimize distractions, which sort of leans into process against. They sort of maybe even bleed together. Sure. In in some cases, but showing up, uh, performance might be choosing the right team members, might be even choosing the right kind of framework, maybe even the right kind kind of problem to solve. Sure. Yes, and I would agree that process is very much a part of the performance. Because, so have you heard of the word Kaizen, K-A-I-Z-E-N? I have, yeah. Okay, so it's very much the premise is these sort of small, more bite-sized goals. And so if you look at process and performance as like these itty-bitty steps that move you in the direction that you want to go. Mm -hmm. So then I'm reinforcing you know, I'm getting that nice hit of dopamine because whenever we achieve our goals, our brain gives us that hit of that neurochemical that goes like, oh, yes, good job. Yeah. yeah, yes, 
Yeah. So it's then amplifying desire and motivation that I want to keep performing to move me in the direction of that desired outcome. Right. What I find really interesting when I read through this was I had never broken down goals to this degree. And I I like the fact that, you know, now I understand that outcome goals are, I understand what they are, but they're not fully under my control. But what is under my control is how I can perform and the process I do to perform. And so I can control those variables and the outcome, as we said before, if we can say not yet or find a way to soften it or round it off, then it makes it a little bit easier to sort of, you know, show up every day, I suppose, and not feel like quitting because the reasons why you feel like quitting is because you don't celebrate the small wins or understand how to bite-sized chunks these goals to get there. And whenever the outcome doesn't come because of variables around your control, well, then you're like, well, why did I even try? Why did I even try? Seriously, why, why, why did I do this? Right? You can learn to really focus on enjoying the process. Like, what is it that you do repeatedly because you simply enjoy doing it? Right. Absolutely. I mean, I think if you are focused on, so in some cases, you might get into the technology businesses of any sort because of a, a large payout, right? It's really well known that there's a lot of money. In technology, a lot of uh, billions get tossed around whenever businesses get acquired. You know, a more famous example was Instagram being acquired by a Facebook for, you know, billions of dollars. And that that was actually a small window of time whenever Instagram began to acquisition. So you might get into it for that kind of payout. But, you know, it's just difficult to only focus on that singular kind of outcome, that sort of financial outcome. You really have to fall in love with and what we have found, fallen in love with here at Changelog is the people, right? It's not about just simply the technology we build. It's about the people involved, the communities that get formed, the the um, the camaraderie, the community, the collaboration. You know, it's about the people and the intermingling rather than just simply like, oh, we created this best software ever that solves no problems. You know, yeah. it's about the people, really. For sure. I mean, I think about that, like back in graduate school, we talked about like this camaraderie that we had, like walking alongside each other, sort of going through this thing that not everybody was facing. And so there's this sort of shared, you know, outcome goal where we're, we're all going, but everybody's got different sort of particular performance goals or process goals because everybody's in a different space. They're separate individuals. But that collaboration just made it all the more desirable. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I want to bear in mind as we we talk through these goals today is that these don't just apply in the professional or sort of vocational sense, but we can set goals according to even relationships as well as, I mean, a lot of people will do this with the new year, right? The health goals. Right. Yes. The gyms get super crowded in January. Yes. And then Memberships beta- go up, super crowded <laughs> in gyms. And then by February, they're, they're back yeah. to normal. Yeah. And I would say that a lot of people get discouraged or it's it's very common for people to be discouraged in cultivating or sort of reaching their goals in health. Right. Because of the way in which they set either unrealistic or sort of too big of a goal that they can't like perform at that level. Mm-hmm. And so now they're getting that painful experience in their brain of going, I let myself down. I don't feel very good. I don't want to show up again because I didn't achieve it. Right. 
And so with that, I want you to think of a criterion, right? Because we're all about utility. I don't want to just give data if it doesn't help you do you better. So there are SMART goals. Have you heard of SMART goals? Briefly, yeah, in a previous episode. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So (laughs) SMART goals are specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timely. So I need to be specific. I just can't say like, I, what, I want to get better at coding? Right. How would you, how would you measure that then? How it, it has to be delineated or clarified. Like, what do you want to do? Right. And then that measurable is how will you know when you've reached it? You know, so a lot of people in health would be like, okay, I want to get to X weight. I want to be able to fit into this article of clothing. But then I'm going to look at, is it achievable? So I want to lose 50 pounds in a month. Probably. Probably. (laughs) And that'd be like some sort of Guinness Book of World Records kind of weight loss scenario, I bet. Right? Yeah. That really isn't in your power to accomplish it. Not for lack of will, but again, it it just isn't adaptive in terms of doing yourself It's unlikely. Yeah. And so realistic. Not only achievable, but is it realistic? 50 pounds in a month probably isn't that realistic. I can see how those two blend together too, achievable Mm -hmm. and realistic. Yeah, yep. But can you really do it? And then timely, when do you want to accomplish it by? And this is the thing. If, If I don't necessarily set a timetable, like, I mean, I could say by the end of 2020, this is where I want to be. Okay. But like, what if I said by November 1st, 2020, this is when I want to have this done. You know, can I do it in that time period? So I'm I'm being very deliberate about how I'm going to measure and identify where I'm trying to get to. If I was like, hey, Adam, I want to go on a road trip this weekend. That's it. Where are you going to go? <laughs> yeah. For what reason? Right. Who's going with you? How yeah. will you pack? Right? <laughs> Clothes will matter because it could be hot, cold, wet, whatever, you know? Exactly. It requires preparation. To know where you're trying to go requires preparation. Right. And so we want to take all of these things into consideration as we're looking ahead and trying to make ourselves better, improve upon ourselves in the years to come or in the decade to come. So if we're looking at even more so these, dare I say, principles that help us also perform better – There's clarity. There's appropriate level of challenge. We have to be committed to it, Mm -hmm. not just when we feel like it. Right. Right. We need feedback around it. If I just do this thing, like say I just – I record a bunch of podcasts, but I never release it. (laughs) I never (laughs) find out what happens with it. I'm probably not going to get to a place I want to be. Right. Right. And then how complex is that task? All of these things make a difference as well. So we talked about SMART goals, but there's also also these sort of properties that go, I have to be considerate of how, what is my commitment level? If I am, say, you know, about to become a new mom or a dad for another time, it probably wouldn't make sense for me to make a commitment to a goal that likely takes away from right. being with my family during that season. Yeah. Right? And so that isn't good or bad, but like we've talked about in other episodes, I need to be considerate around the energy that I'm allocating in different places. Mm-hmm. 
So I might say, you know, okay, I'm going to move over this goal as it relates to my relationships and that I'm going to consider the way in which I show up for my family. Like I am going to come out of my office every day at five o'clock because I'm going to make an effort to always be available from the time I, I finish at five until I go back in at, at nine in the morning or whatever. Right. You're describing my life in a way. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my goal. I try to get out of my office and I work from home, which, which I'm very fortunate. And I try really hard to design my day. Sometimes I bleed over. And those are the days I kind of walk out a little upset with myself for not doing so. But my, my North Star is always five o'clock. You know, regardless, I don't have a commute, so I don't have to mm -hmm. worry about travel or traffic or anything else bombarding me. So I can leave my office and be at home with at, at 501, for example, you know, seconds later and walk out and do these things with my family. Right. And so if we're talking about applying this in terms of a relationship, you're saying, look, I want to be a present dad, an active dad. And that is evidenced by my availability or the time in which I my, my family has access to me. Mm -hmm. And the way in which I participate with them. Yeah. Well, you also, that also allows children thrive on consistency. They thrive on routines. And that's where they, they don't understand they're getting this, but that's where they get their shelter. That's where they get their comfort. That's where they get their protection is, is those boundaries that parents set for them. And mm -hmm. so if I don't hit my goals, so the interpersonal por portion of that is not just, oh, I want to be, you know, time box my work from nine to five, which is a professional goal so that right. I can have a life, the work-life balance, the work eight, play eight, sleep eight thing. You know, I can leave my office at five o'clock. That's a goal for me professionally. But then it also bleeds into interpersonal, which is I am able to give my family feedback that I care enough about them to enable that. And I, and I build my day to do that. And so on the personal and professional side, I'm achieving goals that set for me for prof professional reasons, but then all for personal reasons that I can enable my family to, to believe in me and to rely upon me at that time. So it's interesting, even in you commenting about that, because you just articulated the way in which there's overlap between these goals, yeah. right? And so if I'm I'm sort of optimizing in one way, it's also going to affect the other goals in my life. That's really interesting, too, because, I mean, I think so so often people – and I, I, I don't have any data to back this up, but my assumption is that people, they they desire work-life balance. That's a really well-known thing. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's – and this has been a several-year journey for me to understand and fully understand what it means for me to have work eight, play eight, and sleep eight being North Star for me with my life because, you know, I'm 40 years old. I desire a, a life balance because, you know, my age – bracket, my energy level sort of requires it for, for other reasons. And so if I don't, if I can't sort of allow myself to set goals that affect and understand how they affect both sides of my life, both personally and professionally or relationally, then I'm not going to do myself a service by setting goals that are not achievable professionally that destroy my family life. My right. goal is a happy family. We are a family-based business you know, for Jared, if something comes up for him and it's family, do it, bro. We, I've got you. I, I've got your back, whatever needs to take place. And the same for him to me, because that's our business's DNA to be family focused, to understand that family comes first 
and everything, even the amount of conferences we go to each year, even the things we get ourselves involved in when it comes to business, isn't simply based on, can we make money? Will we enjoy it? It's, it's how will it affect our families? And that is an excellent question because you're getting at this sense of commitment as it relates to constraints and saying, if I don't manage all of these dimensions of my life and the things that I care about or prioritize, then I might actually get to an outcome that I didn't really want. Right. But it means that like, you have to be deliberate around planning and going, what can I actually commit to? Because if it's saying I have this many conferences and I'm going to be gone, you know, 10 times throughout the 12 months for an average of five days, yeah. that that really- That's 50 uh, days-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you have to look at, can I make the commitment around this goal? And I think it's interesting because like we can look in different lanes of life and like sports and people talk about sort of, you know, the the upside and all the glory and here's what you get when you are at a professional level or competing in that sort of upper echelon. But there is a lot of sacrifice because of that commitment. Right. Well, I think some of this might even bleed into the understanding of identity. Because I know who I am. And so maybe in the case of a athlete, you know, I'm not saying this is the case for all athletes, but most athletes that are in that age or that performance bracket mm -hmm. uh, usually are single or they're not married. They might be dating. They may be, you know, available or whatever it might be, but they're not – their relationship is their mission in a sense. You know, they're married essentially to their athleticism, their commitment to their workout schedule and their routines. And – and at some point, like I, I, I watch a lot of uh, mountain biking and it's really interesting to watch like the World Cup level of enduro racing. These people um, are so committed to their – he said, I couldn't imagine in this one interview, this person was like, I can't imagine doing what I'm doing now if I was married and had a family because they literally travel the world. Yeah, Their season is nine months long and they literally go from New Zealand to Canada to South America to the U.S. somewhere. And they're literally all over the map all year long. And that's just not the case. So back to the point I'm trying to make here is the identity piece, because I know I my identity is rooted in being a good husband. My identity is rooted in being a good dad. Uh, my identity is, is rooted in being a great business partner, then I've got to do things because of that, because of who I say I am, I've got to set goals that are according to the identity I believe I am or desire to be. Yeah. And this is why if you set up goals that are inconsistent with your identity, that you are less apt to achieve them. Mm -hmm. Because they're just, so we talk about things being egocentonic or egodystonic. Like it fits with who you see you are or it doesn't, it's more abrasive. Mm -hmm. And so we all make decisions around this as based on our self-concept. And I have to look at going, you know, and I really took a hard look at this when I had children because I, I had a lot of investment in becoming a psychologist at that point in time. And I thought I was headed on one trajectory and I was not prepared for the way in which motherhood changed me to go okay, so this is a side of me, this professionalism, and I want to be able to provide for myself and my family. However, never at the expense of my children and my family. Right. There's some lines you won't cross, essentially. Yeah. And so it's mean it's meant like saying no to other professional opportunities because I 
prioritized my family and my commitment to them because I only get 18-ish years. (laughs) And then that chapter's done. Yeah. And so I try to be very deliberate around the activities and like really savoring the times that I have with my family right now. And being present is so important, especially when it comes to, I mean, any relationship really, but specifically with a spouse or children, because being present and being aware, you know, you can be in the moment with, uh, you know, a loved one, let's just, let's just say kids, but mm-hmm. if you're sort of tied to say Twitter or your phone or something that's sort of like distracting you and your mm-hmm. kids talking to you and they say, daddy, mommy, did you hear me? Did right. you hear what I'm, I'm asking you to play with me or whatever? And like that, what does that, what kind of feedback does that give your children or your child in this case? You know, it's, you're not present, you're not aware, you're not in the moment and Quite literally, we cannot rewind time. You know, we can't get those moments back. So once they're gone, they're gone. It doesn't mean, oh, guilt trip forever, be present every single moment. It just means be aware of where you're not putting your value in. And if those moments are truly valuable, then find ways to say no to things, potentially even dealing with addiction, you know, like Mm -hmm. addiction to an app, for example, addiction to that dopamine hit whenever you see a like or a retweet or a, a Twitter thread you put out there blows up and gets on Hacker News or whatever it might be. Right. You got to re- got to got to find ways to to understand and be aware. I think awareness is a really a key aspect when it comes to any of these goal settings. Like if you're not aware of who you are and what you're trying to do, then how can you truly set and deliver on your goals? Yeah, it's interesting. When my husband and I were first married, um, we would go on what we call these eight-mile walks. It just happened to be this loop where we lived, but we would run part of it and walk part of it. And that was really where we had a ton of conversations around where we were going and mm-hmm. what we were trying to get done because we knew, and this was before kids even, and going, if we and when we have kids, if that is an option for us, like this is what we want to cultivate for our family. And so it meant making sacrifices for both of ourselves professionally because we wanted to be on the front lines with our kids for the first five years mm-hmm. because it was so critical for us to feel like we, we jokingly said that, you know, it's our fault or it's our time to mess up our own kids. Like we want to have an opportunity to sort of cultivate what we desire and knowing that we're going to err. But we want to give it our best shot. Yeah. And that there are kids, they were on purpose, wanted. And so here's what we're going to do. And so when you're talking about even being distracted in the moment, we work really hard at looking at each other. And so our kids even correct us now. And they're like, Mom, you're not looking at me. Look me in the face. I need your face. Like when you're talking or what's the example? Yeah, I mean, it could be anything because, I mean, I do some work at home as well, and so I'll need to do that. And so they'll interrupt or I'm trying to help them with homework at the same time, or they're trying to tell me a story, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. They know when I answer, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. <laughs> really. Right. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> right? The telltale signs of, of distraction. And so they're like, Mom, can I have your face? They'll literally ask me, like, I just need your face because they know that they have my attention then and I'm actually listening to what they say. That's really interesting to to think about that. Eye connection is one of those – I don't know the science behind it, so back me up here. But but whenever you look somebody in the eye, right, there is a a human-to-human, one-to-one, peer-to-peer, clear, distinct connection that 
that can't be disregarded. It's even like if you've ever found yourself in a room full of people, you can you kind of know when eyes are on you, right? And you can mm-hmm. look at somebody. Next thing you know, you've caught eyes with somebody you don't even know, and they look away, right? There's there's some yeah. sort of interaction there with with humans looking each other in the eye. Well, and I I would even make it a little broader in just looking at a face in terms of facial expression because there's so much more data as it relates to you know how you say things the way in which your face contorts, because emotions, generally speaking, are universal in terms of how we express them with our face. So I'm losing a whole piece of data when I don't look at people, because it's actually related to even empathy and this concept or the neuroscience of mirror neurons, so that I can actually have more of an emotional awareness of another person. Mm. So it just changes even the the way in which the interaction feels. Right. Right? I mean, I can interact. It's funny now, like working in psychology, because people will tell me that they, quote, talk to, unquote, somebody. And I always clarify. I said, you mean you actually had a conversation face-to-face? You texted them or it was online? Because that is relevant. Yeah. I, I like the... We're a little off base on goal setting. I think it may tab back to some degree, but I like the aspect of this this missing data in in a in a uh, conversational context. Right? If you don't see somebody's face and you only see their text message, it could be a commit message, it could be a, a, a response or a comment on a commit or an issue on GitHub or something like that or Twitter. You're missing. Not only is it brief and brevity, like it's it's missing some components, it's missing, you know, its full dynamicism, but it's really missing somebody's face and context. And so it's easy to get even charged, triggered, or upset by something because we literally are are acting on their emotions under under a lack of detail around a context. And we allow ourselves sometimes to not see the full depth of what someone was trying to say because you you literally only got the text. You didn't see their face. You don't understand what the circumstances were. It's sometimes easy to assume or presume what they might be, but we all know what happens when we do that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I I also this can sort of keep going back to the goals that there is a also a, a huge component of uh, social factors when it comes to goal setting and that we are more apt, just like I talked about in habit formation, we're more apt to cultivate habits and to do things embedded in other social relationships. And so you could ask yourself, if this is the goal that I have, like say I want to create this healthy habit or I'm trying to reach, you know, I'm trying to release an app within the next year, then who are your people that are going to help support you in doing that? Or do you have the people in your life who are like, nah, man, forget it. Come out with us. Let's go play. Right. And that's part of the goal setting might be to get the right kind of tribe around you. Yeah. Or enable your tribe that is around you to support you in your goals. Mm hmm. Yeah. And so it was interesting. There was the American Society of Training and Development. They did a study on accountability and found that you have a 65 percent more chance of completing a goal if you commit to someone. Mm. And that if you have a specific accountability appointment with a person who you've committed this commitment to, you will increase your chance of success by up to, are you ready for it? 95%. Wow. Right. I mean, who wouldn't want to do that then with those kind of stats? 
right? Well, so let's, we're going to do this live, like for, for brain science. Are okay. you ready? Let's do it. I'm, I'm scared. What <laughs> is know. it? Well, because I always, integrity is really important to me. And so I always say, I don't ask people to do what I'm not willing to do myself. Right. So we have had conversations, Adam and I have had conversations around our goal for brain science and that our goal for 2020 is to get this to a weekly podcast. Right. Right. So you guys can comment, tell us ideas, topics you want to have us talk about because we want to share with you and give you guys more of what you're looking for. Right. What do you think? I, I like that. I think uh, involving the community is really important because what point would it make for us to have these conversations and to develop this show um, if it didn't actually solve the problems or answer the questions that a community around us forms? And so that's really a really key aspect, right? Like we kind of have, you know, charted our own course with our own desires at first, but I think now is a great time to start bringing in more members of the community to give their feedback because, hey, that's important when you set goals. And one yep. easy way to do that is to to either reach out to us on Twitter. That's one easy way. Or at Brain Science FM. Uh, or you can mention at Changelog on Twitter. Or you can even go deeper and uh, Slack with us in real time when we're uh, hanging out in Slack. So go to changelog.com slash community. Join. It's totally free. Uh, find the Brain Science room there. You're in there, Mariel. I'm in there. So it's a lot easier to sort of like have those real-time conversations around uh, thoughts and whatnot. And it's pretty easy to riff, really, really easy to collaborate and say, here's what I'm thinking of. And, you know, what kind of, you know, topics can you guys come up with around this? And I would, I think it'd be really helpful if you guys could even share, like, where are you getting stuck? So whenever mm. we're talking goal setting, it's helpful when we can identify the obstacle to these, like what things make it less likely for me to do this? I can look back and say when I was trying to get fitness as more of a regular part of my routine and I was tired by the end of the day, you know, I knew that if I drove all the way home, I was not likely to get dressed in gym clothes and go back to the gym. So you and took them with you. I did. <laughs> and there was there was one occasion on which I actually took a nap in the parking lot <laughs> because I was like, if I go home, I'm not coming back. And I, I really was trying hard to follow through on my commitment. That is commitment. <laughs> yeah. But like this is part of like that sense of discipline and telling other people about it helps us to navigate it differently. So if you guys say, hey, Marielle, here's where I'm getting stuck in my job or like I go to work on Monday and I'm working on this task and by two o'clock, like everybody starts talking and I just can't done, get done what it is I'd like to get done. Like, share with us more of your specific struggles because I'm sure you're also not alone in that struggle. That's the important part is not being alone, mm -hmm. right? Having a tribe around you, we just talked about the, you know, the interpersonal natures of, of goal setting, but also the social component, the, the accountability necessary, you know, to understand where you're getting stuck, to understand what's holding you back, to understand things that are you know, uniquely human about you even, you know, so when you're thinking like, what can I give Mariel and Adam feedback on to develop the show in, in ways that impact me? Well, where are you stuck? What's holding you back? What makes you unique as a human? What kind of unique circumstances are you in? Those are the kind of questions you can ask yourself. And when you sort of do what we always say anyways, is take stock, right? Be, be present and aware of where you're at, take stock of your unique circumstances, 
that's an easy way to give us feedback on on topics to go for the show. But I think it's really important why we did this show, though, Mario. We have to. I know we talked about the decade turning, but it's uniquely positioned because this is the time of year when people think I have got to do all the things because there's such a social pressure, right, from everyone right. else. There's lists that come out. There's you know YouTube shows. There's TV shows. Everyone starts talking about this new year and the new you and this new goal setting. And I think it's really uh, wise of you to pitch this idea of goal setting because of our audiences uh, naturally going into the new decade like we are. We, we can't help it. So why not go in with a better perspective on how to better goal set and to uniquely understand what you're trying to do so that we can set people up for success and not failure? So with that, I want to sort of wrap up this discussion as it relates to really the obstacles as we go to do that. And I believe it was a Greek philosopher um, who might have been the first to hypothesize that there's fundamental human motives related to having reward. Like our brain is always looking for that hit of dopamine. Like what reward am I going to get for moving in a direction and what pain is going to be associated with that? Yeah. Right. And that neuroscience has sort of caught up with this. And there's some really interesting research out of the University of Oregon, their social and affective lab. And that really is the sense of social relationships and emotion. And they talk about the way in which will and way are relevant, okay? And so I might have this sense of willpower or a will that I want to achieve this goal, but there's a way in which I'm going to actually encounter obstacles that actually need to count. So if I'm more specific, the will refers to the motivational and emotional processes that drive goal pursuit and motives. And then the way refers to more of the suite of cognitive capacities and abilities, like inhibitory control. Like in my example of taking a nap in the parking lot, I had to inhibit this other way that I wanted to go home so that I could follow through on the goal of improving my health and exercising routinely. Yeah. And so all of those process, the itty bitty things, right? And how do I fall in love with the process? So that I can perform in the way that I want to perform. So that I can reach the outcome I desire to create. All right. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Brain Science. If you haven't yet, please join us on this journey. We have so much to explore. Subscribe to this podcast at changelaw.com slash brain science. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Overcast. And anywhere else you can get podcasts. Follow us on Twitter. We're at Brain Science FM. You can also join our Slack community. It's free to join. Talk about all things brain science with me, Marielle, and the rest of the community. And if you have topics or suggestions for the show, we want to hear them. Email us, editors at changelaw.com. Huge thanks to our partners, Fastly, Rollbar, and Linode. Also, thanks to Breakmaster Cylinder for making all of our beats. And last but not least, if you want to hear more shows like this, subscribe to our master feed to get all of our podcasts. Head to changelaw.com slash master or go into your podcast app and search for Changelaw Master. You'll find it. It's one feed to rule them all. Get all of our shows plus some extras that only hit the master feed. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you again soon. Thank you.